Welcome back to the Narrative Monopoly podcast. On today's episode, we have our first Bitcoiner, Marty Bent. Marty is an electric figure who is completely unfiltered, and he gets into the nuance of the debate around, does Bitcoin use too much energy? Um, that is a narrative that has been going around recently, and he does a good job of dispelling it and also offering uh, an alternative view, not just a negative view, but a positive view um, of Bitcoin and the impacts it will it will have on the world. Um, so without further ado, let's press play. We're in the midst of a battle for freedom in the digital age, freaks. Do not let intraday price movements distract you from this goal. As long as people are running their own nodes and taking custody of their own Bitcoin, the fight shall rage on. If you're worried about the price, look away from the charts and better educate yourself to contribute to the network by running a node and validating your own transactions as you send coins to personal storage. Last I checked, governments haven't stopped printing money. They haven't stopped taking away civil liberties and they haven't done anything material to prevent the continued decline in confidence the public has in them. This is very bullish for the prospect of more and more individuals in adopting Bitcoin onward. And those are the words of today's <laughs> guest, Marty Bent. How are you, Marty? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's always weird uh, seeing somebody read uh, read my newsletter back to me, but no, I, 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 I wholeheartedly believe what you just read jeff it's uh we're in a fight for freedom in the digital age and as it pertains to bitcoin particularly people focus too much on price price is definitely a very important metric but it's not the only metric we're going to get into this but it's my understanding that bitcoin is not a trade it's really about developing bitcoin as the replacement of the dollar is that correct yeah i mean you can trade bitcoin people do trade bitcoin certainly uh provides the conditions to be traded as a speculative asset um, and people can trade it, but um, it's not, that's not the big picture. It's just one of the, uh, one of the possibilities that arises with the, the fact that you have humanity trying to price a, a new monetary good for the first time in quite some time. But yes, the, the long-term prospect is again, freedom in the digital age. It is, Bitcoin is an imperative in my mind. Um, and while many people do make a lot of money trading and lose a lot of money trading it, probably more people doing the latter than the former. Um, I, I just I, I don't trade personally. I, I just stack as much as possible and try to educate people about it. All right. Well, we're, we're going to get into the nuances there. Um, but you have a really interesting story in terms of how you got into Bitcoin. Uh, I believe you worked for Barstool Sports at one point. Also worked in in oil and gas, and now work for a Bitcoin mining company. So let's let's take a few minutes, and could you enlighten the audience on on your journey to getting into Bitcoin? Yeah. Um, so I was radicalized as a senior in high school. I was a senior in the fall of two thousand eight. Graduated fall two thousand nine, and I just so happened to be taken in elective economics class as the financial crisis was was unfolding, and had a very astute teacher. I went to an all all boys school and he said, gentlemen, you guys should be paying attention to this. And so with that in mind, I went to college with a know your enemy enemy type mindset and studied economics to try to figure out what the hell is going on with the, the economy and, and the monetary system. And 
that led me to an internship at a managed futures fund where you, we basically index commodities trading advisors, which are large hedge funds that trade futures markets specifically. And so I, I worked at this fund for a few years and as an analyst there, um, you're, you're tasked with writing commentaries on why the markets are moving the way they do, particularly commodities markets could be wheat, coffee, uh, corn, soybeans, could be currencies too. So part of having to write about currency market movements meant following announcements from the Federal Reserve, Bank of Japan, ECB, Bank of England, uh, People's Bank of China, whatever it may be, um, and, and years of doing that and observing central bankers and, and how they manipulate the monetary supply and the interest rates um, associated with the monetary supply, uh, sort of called bullshit in an early age. Like, hey, these people don't seem to actually have uh, as much control as they as they portray to the public. Um, and so, yeah, during that time too, uh, like 2013, 2014, we were working at the fund, still going to school, um, fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And started really paying attention to that um, and accumulating Bitcoin. Uh, it's fortunate that I was a, a poor young. I was in my early twenties and, and relatively poor, um, but it stuck with Bitcoin. I, I left the fund, moved to New York, worked for a software company for a couple of years, um, selling software services. I wanted to learn about how apps and websites are made, and quit that. Had a little bout of unemployment and then started my newsletter in 2017 in June. It's coming up on the four-year anniversary, which is hard to believe. And started writing about Bitcoin as the price was going up in 2017. And yeah, came into contact with uh, some of the individuals at Barstool as they were exploring Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and was having conversations with them. And one of them convinced me to start Tales from the Crypt, which is the podcast I host. And I wound up as I'm still unemployed and, and wasn't making any money from the podcast or newsletter and basically begged Barstool to give me a, <laughs> a, a job selling podcast ads. So I did that for about seven months before taking a job at Great American Mining, which is the Bitcoin mining company you described earlier. And we, um, we uh, use natural gas as our energy source, typically uh, upstream, from, upstream from the grid on well pads sometimes mitigating flare uh, other instances uh, using gas would otherwise be under undervalued by the market to mine bitcoin with it um, so yeah it's been a really interesting journey meandering finance software barstool bitcoin mining and uh, i'm actually rounding up my 20s now turn 30 in a couple of weeks it's been a fun decade did you interface with portnoy at all not anymore uh dave's a very busy man very uh, hard to get into contact with but yeah when i worked there i Talked to him, I mean, when he was in the office pretty much every day. Again, I was selling podcast ads. So for like the rundown when he was there, like I was writing the pod, I had writing the ads down on the whiteboard and had to like tell him exactly how he had to read the ads. And beyond that, we'd talk Bitcoin every once in a while. He, he uh, He's a little late to the game, but he's in the grand scheme of things. He's early, right? But in the, in relative terms, he's he's late to the game. But now he's now he says he's got diamond hands. Do you believe that? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, <laughs> I set Dave up with a hardware wallet when I worked there, and I think he may have lost it, which is a great shame. I think he'll be very happy if he finds that wallet. Um, but we'll we'll see if that ever comes to fruition. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath for that one. All right. So natural gas at Great American Mining Company. One of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on is because you have been leading the charge against this narrative that 
Bitcoin uses up too much energy. So one of the things, let's start with this. Is this narrative presupposed on any electricity use just being bad? Just any? Like, because that's, that's kind of what I hear through the, through the pipes. Yeah. I mean, there's, what is the argument? Well, the, yeah, the arguments plainly that Bitcoin uses too much electricity. Um, It's a waste of electricity. And the underlying argument is that Bitcoin's useless. And the fact that it's using all this electricity is is a great tragedy because it's just being wasted, which is obviously is not true. I mean, Neil Kashkari and Paul Krugman, too, Keynesian economist and, and are very influential in the, the mainstream economic realm, uh, come out in the last two days alone. I believe Krugman wrote something in the New York Times, and Kashkari was quoting something from the Wall Street Journal today talking about um, Bitcoin's energy use, and they both cited the fact that it's quote-unquote useless, which is uh, an argument being made by those two gentlemen from a, from a very uh, strong position of privilege. I think if they were to go to individuals in Caracas, Venezuela, who are using Bitcoin every day as a, as a monetary good to either purchase goods or, or escape inflation um, and escape the, the long reach of the Maduro regime, uh, they would have uh, another opinion about whether or not Bitcoin has utility for them. I think they would say objectively and very staunchly that it does. Similarly, Nigeria, um, where protesters' bank accounts have been cut off, uh, and they haven't been allowed to to accept donations via the traditional means. Uh, they've turned to Bitcoin and, and have uh, been able to accept donations via the Bitcoin network, which has allowed them to assist and, and keep uh, protesting what they deem to be uh, overarching government um, mandates on, on their autonomy. I think they would argue that Bitcoin provides a lot of utility. Me personally, um, as a 29-year-old white male in the northeast section of America has used Bitcoin as a savings vehicle for, for the better part of a decade now. It's provided me a lot of utility um, and, and a lot of value. Um, so the arguments around energy stem from an argument that the Bitcoin is useless. Uh, and that argument just falls flat on its face when you actually <laughs> look into uh, the fact that it is providing utility for, for many, many people around the world. So the argument is that it is it does have efficacy in places right now where citizens of various countries cannot opt out besides using Bitcoin. So, uh, as you said, Venezuela, just any any failing state, right? It gives you the ability to opt out. And then the second piece is that you're converting energy into wealth. Are those the two tenets of the argument? Well, that's the thing. It's this is like the newsletter I wrote today is like, do we argue from, do we argue within the framing they put forth? Right. Like, and that's something I'm, I'm going to be more and more vocal about moving forward, especially for Bitcoin advocates. It's like, stop fucking arguing with these people and the framing they put forth. Like it's, it's based on lies. Number one, again, I just mentioned saying Bitcoin's useless. It's like objectively false. And then number two, they, they really don't. So the energy, 
conversation specifically. Like we have to reframe that wholly and take take the framing away from these people because they're hysterical zealots who are anti-human and anti-capitalism at the end of the day. That's what it is. And that's why they're attacking Bitcoin so vehemently. It's because I believe they're communists at the end of the day or they have communistic tendencies in, in the sense that they want to centrally plan economies and uh, with the central bankers, they want to centrally plan the monetary system specifically. Uh, and Bitcoin takes that control away in a very aggressive manner, in a very plain manner. And they can't control Bitcoin, and therefore they are attacking it. Because if they can't control it, they lose control over uh, the populations and the ability to bring their, their socialistic and communistic ideas um, to fruition. Um, and so uh, the whole energy argument just needs to be... And we need to hold a mirror up to these people and be like, all right, if you're going to throw it at us, let's throw it right back at you. Like the US dollar, uh, the fact that you're able to print it, print it ex nihilo into infinity and allows uh, and incentivizes, not only allowed, incentivizes overconsumption, it enables the military industrial complex. It, it leads to a degenerate yield chasing and all these activities uh, result in energy being converted to electricity and consumed. And so you can very strongly make the argument that the, the traditional system itself uh, is actually worse for the environment because of the way the monetary system is set up. And then two, again, mirror up to these face. Uh, these people don't care about the environment. They really don't care about the environment or CO2 or anything like that. They care about control at the end of the day. And one of the ways you can prove, at least here in America, that these people don't care about the environment is the fact that they're uh, decommissioning nuclear power plants across the country, which is the cleanest energy generation source we have as a society. Um, and if they really cared about eliminating CO2, they would be building more and more nuclear facilities because they have literal zero carbon emissions and, and instead they're doing the opposite um, and for reasons that are are very odd um, and then yeah beyond that it's like the the whole green tech movement towards solar and wind particularly in the carbon credit uh, accounting scam that's that's popped up uh, to to subsidize this market and the ESG bullshit movement that is that is hitting corporate boardrooms and capital allocators uh, is is again it's hypocritical and you've got to hold up a mirror to to these people the the wind and solar the solar panels and the wind turbines they they may at the point of actual converting energy into electricity may not make emissions but to get to that end state you had to dig up a bunch of rare earth minerals you had to send uh construction of solar panels over to china where they use coal to build their solar panels and they use slave labor to build their solar panels and that is the reason why we're able to get cheap solar panels from china it's because they're using massive amounts of coal and slave labor so these people want to call bitcoin bitcoiners bad and bitcoiners uh, like evil people when actually if you hold a mirror up these people are <laughs> worse by orders of magnitude I, I want to get back to the framing and the narrative that's being built but I mean you make a, a great point that when someone tells you that you know they want to reduce carbon emissions but they're against nuclear or even natural gas it's like okay that's the whole ball game then I know that I don't have to take you seriously because as you said, nuclear zero carbon emission. The other thing is, you know, this this new square report that Jack Dorsey 
has been talking about, you know, came out, I think two, three weeks ago about how Bitcoin will actually accelerate the transition to renewable energy sources. And there was this other article, I think it was New York Magazine, talking about how Bitcoin uses the same amount of electricity in terawatts as like a Switzerland, but because the sources of energy are much cleaner, it, it actually emits, I think, like half or, or a fraction of the, the carbon that a, a, a similar sized country like Switzerland would. So is that, uh, you know, obviously the people who don't believe in nuclear aren't credible, but let, let's say that there are people who are credible, who want to reduce emissions. It is basically, it is the argument that Bitcoin can accelerate the use of renewables and, and the fact that, I mean, you say your company, uh, American Mining, you know, you guys are using natural gas. Is, is this a great uh, example of accelerating uh, renewables and actually helping the climate? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I've been tweeting it out this week and writing about it. Bitcoin is a, a boon to conservationism. It's Bitcoin, uh, particularly Bitcoin mining, as an industry that seeks out stranded, wasted, underutilized energy sources, makes us extremely energy efficient and it helps us eliminate waste throughout the energy value chain pretty significantly. Uh, in terms of like incentivizing renewable uh, energy like production and it does do that because um the bitcoin miners of the like if the renewable energy facilities need a to bootstrap revenue with buyers before they get to scale where they can deliver enough energy to market to make sense economically like bitcoin miners will show up and pay so they'll be a paying customer very early on to help you bootstrap your, your renewable energy project that being said, there's questions about the intermittency of the green energy sources of wind and solar, particularly. I mean, geothermal and hydroelectric are, are a big chunk of the energy mix in the Bitcoin mining industry, and they're, they're pretty consistent, and they're very much contributing. Solar and wind, I am still a bit skeptical just due to the intermittency and the unreliability that those two particular energy sources um, provide. Um, and then with that Square report, Love Jack, uh, Love Square, Love Cash App sponsor, either, disclaimer, they're a sponsor of my podcast. However, that, that report is a bit misleading, particularly the, the stat on the LCOE price of uh, solar versus natural gas. They say it's like cheaper um, than natural gas, but that's a bit of a misnomer because of a number one, it's subsidized, heavily subsidized again, a lot of that solar productions exported to China and using coal and slave laborers used to, to get those prices down and they're sort of not factored into the the end price and then on top of that like capacity and like the actual ability to um, to conserve and then distribute energy solars at like 40 percent where natural gas is at closer to 90 and like 87 percent I believe so once you go beyond like the in the the surface level metric of lcoe there's there's a bunch of added costs behind that 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 make it significantly more expensive compared to natural gas um, but again there is nuance here bitcoin mining certainly does incentivize the construction of new renewable projects because again you're, you're going to have a, a buyer right away if the the energy is cheap enough and you can bootstrap revenue and then expansion from there so 
there's it's a very nuanced topic and that's like one thing i'm becoming more aggressive about and almost to a point of like a militant like we need to just be upfront with all these trade-offs and actually have honest forthright conversations about this stuff it's 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 all larp everybody's just playing the carbon credits esg game to fucking appease the regulators and all that and Bitcoin is a ledger that provides objective truth to the world. And as Bitcoiners, we should strive in everything that we do to, to get to objective truth. And I think the energy debate, and again, Bitcoiners working within the framing of the energy hysterics, like I'm, I'm not convinced there's a climate emergency at all. So number one, uh, <laughs> debating within uh, the framing that there is a climate emergency is a losing proposition. Like you're never going to convince these people that there isn't um and so you just have to rechange the framing that like th there isn't and let's let's work from from that assumption instead of assuming that uh, a billion people are going to die in the next decade if we don't stop what we're doing which is and i think completely hysterical and nonsensical right i mean mike uh schellenberger's book apocalypse never does a great job of, of disproving the narrative that the world's just going to end tomorrow I mean, I think that that's just, it's just clearly not true. And I really like how you're talking about framing because I think what they've done is, it seems to me that the line of attack is piggybacking off of the established narrative of uh, needing to reduce carbon, which, you know, carbon emissions are going up. Uh, sure, we, we need to reduce them across the board. But that doesn't mean that uh, you, you know, need to reduce them. Like, fucking, if you look at carbon <laughs> emissions on like a, a, a scale of millions of years uh, that the world has been around, like we're, we're actually like pretty low comparatively uh, in terms of other points of the history of the planet. And it's, yeah, I think people are being bamboozled. And another thing, like the CO2, the, the percentage of CO2 overall as a greenhouse gas is like minuscule. And like this focus on carbon dioxide and not like water and other things, it's just like very weird. Um, and it, it, again, it's not not fully explaining the trade-offs or, or painting a full picture of um, the facts, which, and, and again, it's all about control at the end of the day. Like they, they're using this fear narrative of climate emergency so they can control people at the end of the day, control how you can pull energy out of the ground. Where you, how much energy you can use, how expensive it's going to be. Um, they, they don't care about the environment. They care about control. Um, I very much deeply, deeply believe this. So I don't know enough about the actual stats to to debate you on uh, on carbon, uh, what what needs to be reduced or not reduced. But I do agree that uh, you know if if someone's telling you, oh, we just we we need to nuke. Our economy in order to you know stave off this this climate crisis i mean that's obviously a lie yeah. uh so i agree with you on that front yeah no and like before anybody comes out and like thinks like oh marty wants to fucking dig up coal and just set it on fire and send like co to the end it's like that's not true it's like again i just want to have honest conversations about this stuff and honest debates about this stuff and again i truly believe bitcoin is the like one of the greatest boons to conservationism that the world has ever seen like just because I don't believe that CO2 is a problem doesn't mean I don't believe that uh, waste and pollution is a problem. It's a massive problem that needs to be solved. And Bitcoin, specifically Bitcoin mining, helps solve that problem massively. Like what we do at Great American Mining, we go to oil producers and say, hey, stop fucking lighting that gas on fire and getting no economic value on it. Like 
give it to us. We'll run it through these generators. We'll mine Bitcoin with it. And we'll get positive economic value out of it. We'll take that scarce physical energy resource. We'll, instead of flaring it? Instead of flaring it. We'll, instead of flaring it and literally just setting it on fire, getting no economic value out of it, actually spending economic value, being a drag on society's productivity overall. We'll take it. We'll take that scarce methane molecule. We'll turn it into electricity. We'll produce hashes with it that allow us to add blocks to the Bitcoin blockchain. We'll get rewarded in Bitcoin, a scarce digital asset, a scarce asset in the digital world. So you're memorializing these uh, scarce physical methane molecules in this scarce digital Bitcoin token. And so you're actually, uh, it's extremely uh, in line with conservationism because you're taking this physical good and you're memorializing it in this digital ledger into perpetuity. So you're literally not wasting it. You're, you're turning it into this digital token that can be traded amongst people millions of times over into perpetuity, which is extreme. You're getting so much value out of that molecule over the long term. Like it's not just the, the, the price of the token at a given point in day. It's the amount of economic value that's traded between individuals using that token into history. Um, and it's, it's extremely, extremely uh, efficient. And then beyond that, like, that's just the first order effect. Like, don't even think about the second order effects. So, like the second order effects, what we do specifically at Great American Mining, it changes the the business decision making process at the at the operator level. Like, do they construct pipelines? Do they drill as many wells? When they do drill wells, do they vertically drill and choke the wells so they they're more efficient with getting the gas out? And they don't uh, they don't just poke a hole and waste a bunch of gas like do they approach it now that they have uh, a revenue stream via bitcoin mining do they do they be more efficient with the, the gas that they're taking out of the ground there's a strong argument to be made that yes that's the case uh pipeline construction now that you don't need to build pipelines to come deliver this gas to market you can monetize it on site you're not using all that energy that it takes to to build a pipeline and then all the methane leak that happens along that pipeline and then beyond that in the third order effect it's producing a scarce digital good and ushering in a sound monetary policy in the digital age, which disincentivizes the misallocation of capital and overconsumption and increases opportunity cost of investment decisions. So you don't have people building plastic trinkets that are just going to get thrown in the ocean after one use. Like they're, they're forced to invest wisely and build things that are made to last into, into a long time in the future. The, First order effects is just, yeah, it literally consumes energy that would have been wasted and added to pollution. Um, second, it changes the way business decisions are made uh, from an energy uh, sort of extraction perspective. And then third order, like it's, it's bringing a sound monetary system that disincentivizes overconsumption and, and capital misallocation. So it's actually incredibly good for the environment efficiency and conservation of of scarce resources on on planet earth let's talk about that third point i mean this is a this is a pro conservation podcast it's also a pro freedom podcast and let's go back to the framing when we talk about freedom so you're saying you know like neil kashkari and the fed are, are basically framing the terms of the debate in that bitcoin isn't useful and that you know it shouldn't exist, blah blah blah. But the framing should be: Why are unelected bureaucrats able to just inflate our wealth away at their at their own behest? I mean, that that's what fiat is, right? I mean, if 
So these numbers of, uh, I think in April, like the annualized inflation was 9.2%, which basically means the the cash I have sitting in my savings account is worth 10% less or 9% less, right? So that was not something that I ever voted for. That was not something that I ever had a decision in. And with Bitcoin, there is a fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoins. And because of that, this would usher in a return to sound money where folks on Constitution Avenue cannot decide how much my savings are worth. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And that's the other thing, like hold up a mirror, like people are like, oh, Bitcoin. It was uh, it was made by anonymous person. Nobody knows. Like it's, uh, it's drugs, all that. And it's like, pfft. you hold up to a mirror, these people are like, yo, motherfuckers, the Fed was created by a cabal of private bankers who met in secret on a private island off the coast of Georgia and then pushed the Federal Reserve Act through Congress on Christmas Eve 1913 when all the senators were at home uh, for vacation. Like, <laughs> like that's like what Satoshi did is actually admirable because he did open source. He said, hey, I'm going to launch this thing. Like, let's have a discussion for a couple months. And he launched it and he was like, hey, come participate. Like anybody can participate and juxtapose that with hell. The Fed uh, and the Fed's inception story, and it's like yeah, you you don't have a leg to stand on. It's it's laughable. Well, I think what's crazy is the obviously you know we got off the gold standard in 1971. So what was decided at Jekyll Island is not even close to where we are today. And and now you have this mission creep of the Fed where they're talking about we're going to do environmental stuff and. Hmm. I mean, employment is, is, uh, you're about to say something. Yeah, the New York Fed went completely woke. They're going to figure out racial inequality. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, if you buy enough, uh, if you buy enough assets, I guess you could. Um, it's just, it, I mean, this gets into this fiduciary crisis that I, it's kind of like the term I have for what's going on across the board where people in institutions everywhere are just not fulfilling their fiduciary responsibility to who they are, are responsible to. And obviously like printing money by, by fiat is not necessarily tied to, to anyone. I mean, it should be the American citizens, but I, I think that that goes into the broader trend, but how, how would Bitcoin actually, I mean, is the goal to replace the dollar or just to have an opt out? I mean, it starts as an opt out, but then it just naturally replaces as, people choose it um, because it's a better free market money. It's a better money. It's a better tool to facilitate economic trade and capital accumulation. Um, how, how would people use it in day-to-day life? Is that, is that what the lightning network is doing? Yeah. I mean, you see my phone, I might be using the lightning network right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally, you can see here, you see that you've received payment of nine sats. Somebody's listening to my podcast. On Hell yeah. They're sending me Bitcoin. So last, yeah, for the last hour, they've been streaming me Bitcoin. You can do that over the Lightning Network. I mean, it depends. It depends on how people want to accept Bitcoin, right? And how 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 you can receive it. it depends if people want to uh, send it or not. If they want to actually spend it, like why spend Bitcoin when you could spend your cuck bucks and save your Bitcoin, um, <laughs> which is the U.S. dollar, is what you're referring to. Yeah, well, there's other there's other form of cuck bucks. So the yuan, the yen, the, the euro, they're all cuck bucks. Now, all right, here's the question though, right? Like if I go to my parents and I say, Hey, you know, you're gonna you're gonna pay you're gonna go buy some groceries in Bitcoin, they're just gonna be like, 
what the hell are you talking about? So I think that that obviously it's not going to happen overnight, but that's what I'm talking about in terms of how would you actually replace the dollar and, and have it be a medium of, of transaction? Just takes time, right? So Bitcoin already is a store of value, medium of exchange, any unit of account. Uh, and it, it is all those three things already, just not for everybody, right? And like Bitcoin today is mainly used as a speculative asset or a store of value. It's just a fact. And that's because of the nature of where it is on its potential uh, monetization. It's very early. Uh, people truly believe that Bitcoin can go to a multi-hundred trillion dollar market cap. And if that happens, then Bitcoin's going to be worth a lot more. It's going to have a lot more purchasing power than it does today. Um, and so most people treat it as a, a savings vehicle or a speculative vehicle on future uh, uh, value. Um, but that does not preclude it from being a medium of exchange. Again, like I just showed you, uh, people are using it as a medium of exchange to send me sats because they like my podcast people again like i mentioned earlier in venezuela and, and argentina and lebanon iran uh turkey they use it as a medium of exchange every day because they need to because their currencies don't work like again like uh, bitcoin's predominant use case is, will probably change throughout time right now it's a store of value uh, m mainly and very small percentage of people are using it as a medium exchange, but that will shift over time as more people want to acquire Bitcoin and demand it <laughs> as payment. I mean, I'm, so yeah, I'm, I'm new to the game and what drew me to it was not the speculation. It was the promise of freedom and, and not being tied to, you know, what the Fed decides my money's worth. Now, what I, where I'm coming from is I think that uh, as you said, it's going to take time. I just think solving that problem at scale of being able to use it as 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 a um, medium of exchange is what is going to give it value. Because I think that's that's why people bought gold was okay. You can exchange your dollars for gold, but even before that, gold was was used as a, a medium of exchange. So that that's kind of where I'm getting at is in 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 my mind um and again I'm new to this uh you'd have to solve the the transaction problem at scale where it's just as easy as swiping a credit card and then all of a sudden you would have that adoption and you would get the freedom do you have a bitcoin wallet on your phone I don't you're going to help me set that up <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean so like, I think it's a false premise to believe that that will drive the value that stuff well, will happen. Let's, let's get into that then. That stuff will happen because Bitcoin is valuable, right? That stuff will be built because Bitcoin is valuable. It's not going to be built and then give Bitcoin value. Bitcoin's value derives from the fact that it is a peer-to-peer -peer distributed cash system um, that allows you to make payments they don't want you to. It allows Venezuelan citizens to accept money from family members abroad when they otherwise couldn't be a traditional payment systems because they're sanctioned. Um, it, that is what gives it value, the fact that you can interact in this peer-to-peer -peer fashion it is a step function improvement on traditional payment rails and wire transfer rails um in the traditional monetary system of the world the dominant monetary system of the world the financial system the payment system um that's what gives it value it allows you to do things that you can't do on on those um on those networks and then on top of that in this peer-to-peer 
caches and allows you to interact in a distributed system and it secures the scarce monetary good in the digital age and that monetary good compared to other monetary goods like the us dollar or gold even is superior it's scarcer it's only ever going to be 21 million it's divisible it's more divisible there's 100 million units in one bitcoin there's 100 million satoshis in one bitcoin and if you take it to layers like the lightning network you can cut satoshis into even smaller units um, it's extremely portable. You can um, send Bitcoin over the internet across the world very quickly. And final settlement happens much faster within an hour if you're waiting for six confirmations. Um, and you can secure it very easily and validate it very easily. Comparatively, you can download the software that uh, that dictates the rules of Bitcoin. And if you want to validate that your Bitcoin is real Bitcoin, you you basically use your node that you're running on your hardware that you own uh, so there's no third party and you're validating that that bitcoin exists it's like yes I, I can do that and you can do that relatively cheap cheaply for like tens of dollars whereas if you need to assay gold the machine to do that literally costs like two hundred thousand dollars um and then yeah like securing it you can write it down it can be represented by by 24 words in the seed phrase and you can walk around with the world naked with bitcoin in your mind if you're able to remember those words so uh, and the value is derived from the peer-to-peer -peer nature of the network that sends the scarce digital good. Um, and so like the, the medium of exchange will come as people realize the value and they're like, oh shit, I need to acquire as much of this. Let's build things that make it easier for me to acquire that. Um, so that's the other way around, I would argue. Okay, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. Let, let me, let's shift gears for a second. Are there any other cryptocurrencies that you're excited about or is it is it just Bitcoin first the world? Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I, I fell down the shitcoin rabbit hole very early on, um, and when you realize like it, they're all affinity scams, I don't, I don't, I don't see the value in any of them. Maybe stable coins, um, just for people in third, third world countries who want uh, to uh, avoid the volatility of everyday Bitcoin price movement. That that makes a little sense to me, um, but in terms of actually creating distributed money is like creating more blockchains with with distributed consensus mechanisms it, it doesn't make sense to me like i think once you have actual free market competition for monetary goods which hasn't existed for quite a while you've, you've had money by diktat uh, by the governments and the central banks like forcing you to use their currencies and not until bitcoin it was able to launch in a distributed fashion where it's extremely hard to shut down has there actually been a free market money that competes with that that fiat currency system and once you have a free market for monetary goods you'll find i believe that um you're, you're going to coalesce around one i believe it's going to be bitcoin I, I don't think anybody can replicate the the purity of Bitcoin's launch, the fairness of Bitcoin's launch, um, the fact that it doesn't have a leader anymore, Satoshi left very early on, uh, the fact that it's become significantly distributed from a node perspective uh, and then from a supply perspective too. A lot of individuals who had Bitcoin early on treated, treated it as uh, something that wasn't worth anything and they didn't see the potential for it, so they distributed the supply by, by spending it. Um, and then as well, like I, I get a bit, um, romantic about it, but I, I think like one thing that people severely discount is the fact that Bitcoin, particularly Bitcoin mining, it molds the physical and the digital worlds together via energy. Like at the end of the day, Bitcoin is a currency of energy it's an electric currency and, uh, the 
physical infrastructure that's been built out in the mining industry to convert energy into the scarce digital good is far beyond any competitor in the altcoin space. I don't think, I don't see them catching up ever. Um, and I think a lot of them actually miss that that is the innovation here, that Bitcoin, the network, via turning these, again, scarce um, energy sources into a scarce digital good and doing that via electricity that produces hashes is the, the crazy innovation that Bitcoin provides. Um, and you add a difficulty adjustment into that mix so that you sort of, um, you uh, you pace the the production of blocks uh, every 10 minutes. Um, and you, you we've created uh, currency backed by energy, which has been envisioned for over a century. Henry Ford in December 1921 wrote an op-ed in the New York Tribune saying we could end all wars if we were able to figure out how to price things in, in kilowatt hours instead of grams of gold. Buckminster Fuller similarly similarly said that we could end wars if we were able to figure out how to create a kilowatt dollar um, and not until Bitcoin, particularly Bitcoin's distributed nature and its proof of work consensus mechanism with the difficulty adjustment, um, not till that came to market where we, act, where we actually able to implement a, a currency backed by energy. And I actually think that is the, the huge innovation that's going to like we can't even understand or fathom the, the, the profound effects it's going to have on society decades centuries from now um and that and that's another reason why the energy fud is is particularly frustrating because it uh, it completely glosses over the beauty of what what bitcoin mining and proof of work does um by connecting the, the physical and digital worlds so i'm familiar with the argument around Bitcoin ending wars over the petrodollar. But when Henry Ford wrote that, that was before the petrodollar existed. So what do, what do you mean by ending wars in, in a general uh, general sense? Like how, do, how does Bitcoin do that? Well, a lot, like, so it, it allows anybody around the world with access to mining equipment or access to software that allows you to accept Bitcoin to... To number one, accept a scarce digital good. Um, no one political party or country has power over the purse, which is like who controls the money controls the world. It's been like an, an adage or uh, a derivative of the of that phrase has been repeated time and time again throughout history. Um, and then, yeah, like you can, and everybody can compete and participate in it. So if you have excess energy sources and you just use those plug in a miner use that energy to produce hashes that eventually produce bitcoin like you, you have a leveling of the playing field of the monetary system and you, you essentially create a, a a global grid or a global energy arbitrage that anybody can participate in and so instead of fighting for scarce resources and far off lands people can um, look inward and just utilize what they have in front of them. Um, beyond that, it's harder to print money to go to war. Um, beyond that, sound digital money allows people to accumulate capital. Um, and a lot of the stresses that that lead to conflicts come from desperate situations, poverty, stuff like that. Um, people getting fed up. Uh, because they can't get ahead in the world. Um, and a lot of the reasons people can't get ahead in the world is because they can't accumulate capital because they're trying to save in currencies that are being rapidly debased. Um, 
Yeah, so there's many factors. I don't know. I, again, this the argument that Buckminster Fuller and Henry Ford made for the for the energy currency. I I, I could see how uh, I can I can follow that argument, and we'll see if it, it comes to fruition. Um, I, I believe it significantly, at the very least, will significantly curb um, curb uh, conflict. Again, because it just levels the playing field and allows people to accumulate capital, which in my mind would help reduce desperation, which is a large cause for wars throughout history. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit throughout the the episode here, but what the long-term goal for Bitcoin and really realizing your, your basically the dream, the battle for freedom in the digital age that you talk about, um, how would you describe that? Like, how would you wrap that and, and put a bow on it? And we've kind of weaved in and out, but to, to describe it in a pithy way, I guess. Very simply, I mean, we have two choices. We have the Chinese surveillance state, in particular, the social credit score scoring system exported to the rest of the world. The U.S. government is, is a surveillance state as well, um, and they do very good at surveilling our metadata, our conversations, our our social media. Um, one thing in there, they crept into the financial system. There's a lot of limits of how much money you could send, who you can send to, whether or not you can accept money. Obviously, we've seen deplatforming. So it's obviously the, the social credit score panopticon that's uh, built out fully in China has started to rear its head in the U.S. and it's it's getting. Uh, a bit more aggressive over time. So we either have that where all these authorities control uh, how much money uh, is created, uh, who has money, how you can spend it, where you can spend it, who you can send it to. Um, they, they, the central bank digital currencies, they want to drop it in your digital wallet and tell you that you have X amount of time to spend it and you can spend it at these places. Like it, <laughs> it's terrifying completely eliminates your autonomy as a as an individual um so you get that or you get bitcoin where it's peer-to-peer and nobody can control it and you can interact with whoever the fuck you want um and it sort of pushes the the policing of the world to meet space like hey if, if you're really worried about terrorists and criminals like just you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and make everybody live within this digital prison um you actually got to do some detective work and and good policing in meat space they can let 99% of the people are good people who just go about their, their business and allow them to have privacy and freedom. Um, so yeah, I mean, we either get, we either get the digital panopticon or we get the ability to have autonomy over our lives and our economic interactions specifically. Choice is yours, folks. Choice <laughs> is yours. All right. So if someone wanted to get started with a, uh, with, with a Bitcoin wallet, I know that buying Bitcoin on Robinhood is not real. It's don't, don't buy it on Robinhood. Don't buy it on PayPal, Venmo. Um, yeah. They, How do you get started? Depends. You can work for Bitcoin if you want to, if you don't want to actually spend money, but you're willing to do like a side job and you want to accept Bitcoin, you can download blue wallet, which is a nice mobile wallet that I like, and you can accept Bitcoin as payment. Um, if you're in the U S I mean, there's a number of exchanges again, disclaimer sponsor my podcast but i do truly use their service and i do like and i think it's a really good service and dependable cash app is very easy way a lot of people have cash app on their phones already you can buy bitcoin on the cash app um and you you can put in your private keys right yeah host your own wallet yeah you can send it to personal custody and you should 
be aware of their limits, their weekly limits. You don't want to get all your Bitcoin stuck on there. It's a problem. I know they don't like it and they're working on it, but it is a, a limit of the app right now. You can only um, you can only uh, withdraw five thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin a week. Um, so that's something to be aware of. Uh, River.com is another exchange. It's not in every state yet, um, but I like them. They're dependable. I'm actually that's who I'm going to get lunch with after we record. Is the CEO of River? He's in town. Um, where I'm at. Um, Coinbase, I don't really agree with their leadership or the fact that they push um, shit coins on individuals, but you can buy Bitcoin. They do allow you to withdraw at Gemini, Kraken, um, or two other exchanges. Swan Bitcoin is another. Uh, I mean, if you're when you say when you say exchanges, are you talking about like hosted wallets? I mean, they yeah. I mean, no exchanges like what is that? It's like nuance here. Exchange, you can buy Bitcoin. And they have wallets that they host your Bitcoin, but you actually don't control it until you send it to your personal custody. Um, gotcha. In term, terms of like software wallets, yeah, Blue Wallet, like I mentioned. Um, that's personal custody. That's personal custody. So make sure you, like, before you do it, practice makes perfect. So securing your own Bitcoin demands extreme responsibility. Like I said, like, it's a, well, I haven't said this yet. Bitcoin is a digital bearer asset. So it's different. Like, if you, bearer asset in the sense that you possess it like you bear it and it's under your control that's part of the beauty of bitcoin and and the revolutionary revolutionary nature of it but it's also uh, an extreme responsibility if you lose your your private key or the passphrase that represents your private key the seed phrase excuse me um you're shit out of luck um so make sure you understand the the responsibility that comes with securing your bitcoin which means you have to write down your seed phrase protect that seed phrase um and and make sure that you wrote it down correctly and never lose it um hardware wallets trezor cold card ledger they're good places to store your bitcoin it's basically a dedicated device it's technically a, a signing device that holds the private key or a copy of the private key on the actual device so you can sign it from the device to send Bitcoin. Um, it's more secure than a mobile wallet. If you have significant sums of Bitcoin, I would consider getting a hardware wallet. Um, they actually make the, the process of writing down your C phrase and understanding the, the importance that comes with that. Um, they do a really good job of explaining that in that onboarding process. And then if you have like a lot of Bitcoin, uh, I would look into... Um, collaborative custody model another sponsor of the podcast disclaimer on chain capital um, they provide what's known as a multi-sig vault solution collaborative custody solution where bitcoin it enables you to set up conditions to spend um, that, that that make it hard to move your bitcoin which is a good thing if you want to secure it and so again a multi-signature wallet is a wallet in which you need n of m signatures before you can move bitcoin so you get two hardware wallets unchained has one you your two hardware wallets represent two keys and a two or three multi-sig setup unchained third represents one um so you can hide your two key you can geographically disperse your two keys um and so they're not in the same room so if an attacker were to come try to get your bitcoin they can't do it with one wallet they'd have to go find your other wallet or collude with unchained which is unlikely to happen um and that that makes it more secure so that's another set up casa is another service that does that as well they do multi-signature collaborative custody um so yeah if you're if you're getting up to big big sums of bitcoin multi-sig is something you should research as well but yeah like if you're in bitcoin you should want to take personal custody but again understand that it comes with extreme responsibility and it's it's nothing to to take lately i actually 
was up late last night helping somebody with a with a hardware wallet issue they were having recovering bitcoin with using the seed that was produced on one hardware wallet uh, on another hardware wallet and that's another thing that's very early on in the software there's no standardization so you can <laughs> recover on a new hardware wallet and you would be like holy crap my bitcoin's not here um but that's not sure the bitcoin's there it's just hidden uh, in the the hierarchical um I'm getting too too into the weeds now, but <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in this. Uh, I'm just like soaking it in like a sponge, but um, but yeah, yeah I, I think the the audience has a lot of options now. There's a lot of nuance. Do your research. Practice makes perfect. So that's what I recommend. Practice with a mobile wallet. Writing down the seed phrase, wiping the wallet, recovering from that seed phrase, sending small amounts to, sending small amounts from. Um, practice makes perfect. Get comfortable with it practice with it so you understand it and get a get a hang of it before you send any significant amount of funds to to personal storage i love it all right well we uh we're running up up against our time here where can people find you hang out on twitter mostly at marty bent um and then yeah i have a podcast the tales from the crypt great american mining we have um uh, gamcast which is a podcast focused on bitcoin in the energy markets particularly oil and gas you find both of those anywhere uh, in any podcasting platform. Uh, TFTC.io is my website, um, my newsletter, and the podcast is housed there. And then I, I do a weekly show on Tales from the Crypt called Rabbit Hole Recap with my co-host Matt O'Dell. And we just it's a, basically a new show, the happenings in Bitcoin and uh, liberty-related stories and privacy-related stories uh, of the week. Um, yeah, that's about it. Twitter, TFTC.io, podcasting platforms. All over the place. It's weird. Well, I, I, I signed up uh, a while ago for your newsletter and, and listen to your podcast and uh, I've learned a bunch. And so I'm happy to get you on. I think, uh, I think this, this episode will, will not, uh, not disappoint. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, man. It was a pleasure. A lot of fun. Absolutely. And there you have it. That was the first, but probably not last episode on Bitcoin um, if you could leave us a written five-star review, has to be written, otherwise it does not count. Apple will, will reject it and send it back and tell you that you are not a loyal enough listener of the podcast. So it has to be written. I don't make those rules. That's just how it works. Um, and please, if this is the first time listening, please hit follow. It is now follow on Apple Podcasts. I think it's follow on Spotify too. Um, they no longer do subscribe. I guess they were too tired of, of hearing people like myself say, please uh, subscribe to my podcast. So now it's follow um, and get it on any other podcast player, um, YouTube as well. Um, go check it out on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, starting to grow those as well. Um, and we will see you next week.